Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Amen. Well, if you're able, physically stand with me for just another moment so that I can read a text tonight. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, the very first chapter of the New Testament. Familiar scripture. It is Christmas time. And uh, with the permission of the Lord, I'm going to bring to you uh, something a little bit different tonight from a Christmas perspective. I want to read Matthew 1 and verse 20 to set the stage for my remarks tonight. It's good to see everybody here. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor's glad you're here. I want everybody to hear that said to them by somebody else. Let's make sure everybody hears somebody say that to them. Pastor's glad you're here. I tell you what, and why don't you add this, and so am I. We're so glad Aunt Leela's here tonight. Everybody give Aunt Leela a clap. Aunt Leela is visiting Aunt Anita, and Aunt Anita got baptized this past Sunday. Praise God. Amen. These are Sister Patricia's aunts, your dad's two sisters. All right. Uh, Matthew 1 and verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, if uh, you'll read the verse before that, you'll find that Joseph uh, is having a little bit of a problem because his wife uh, came up pregnant too early. Uh, according to the law and according to society's customs. And the Bible says he was minded to put her away privately. The word put away means divorce. I guess there was a particular procedure for that while you're engaged to somebody uh, that they went through. But the angel of God says, Joseph, don't do that because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Next verse, she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for or because he shall save his people from their sins. In other words, his name shall be called Jesus. The word Jesus is the English version of Yeshua, uh, which is the English transliteration of the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that means salvation. So of all the compound titles for God in the Old Testament, uh, the most important one is is Jehovah Yeshua, which is God is become my salvation. And that is encapsulated in the English name Jesus. Aren't you glad you know what that means tonight? Amen. I'm going to talk to you for a little while about the reason for the season. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Uh, It's Christmas time, and for many years now, in a lot of school districts and school systems, uh, they don't call it that anymore. They call it winter break. Uh, Christmas has become very secularized, as you know. Another way of saying that is worldly. And a lot of people really don't know 
And many who do don't think about the real reason for the season of Christmas and what it's all about. Even people, as I said, who know about it. Christmas time is shopping time. Uh, it's uh, many times set in center stage with a benevolent, merry old gentleman by the name of Santa Claus. And uh, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. It's wrong. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong to shop and give gifts in celebration of Christmas. That's fine. But we need to keep things in proper perspective. Amen. Uh, but we look at Santa Claus, you know, and the exchanging of gifts. And uh, many people hope that that inspires them to be cheerful and so forth this time of year. And we, uh, I do, our family was texting about this very subject today uh, from hundreds of miles apart from one another, the Christmas meal. Uh, and... Uh, we look forward to that eagerly, don't we? I do, as perhaps one of the main meals of the year. I guess unless you're stuck in the kitchen for hours. Somebody has to cook, though, right? Did you know Christmas time is the uh, time, the, the week of Christmas has the largest sales of alcohol of any week of the year? Uh, that's because Christmas parties are abounding, and uh, some people uh, still greet one another with the words Merry Christmas, and, and that's good. But the Bible, which is the best, by far, best-selling book, and by best, I mean the most copies sold of all time, and it has been for many, many years, it's the best-selling and yet sometimes the least read of all books, it gives us the true reason for the Christmas season. Put up Matthew one twenty one again, Brother Terry. The angel told Joseph, she will bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's a word in this scripture that most people don't mention when they read it, uh, when Christmas is celebrated in our society. What do you think that word is that people uh, refrain from mentioning? Sins. Boy, you guys are smart. That's exactly right. And we understand why that is, don't we? Most people don't want to talk about sin. Uh, it, but that's strange. That's strange to me. The word sin has all but disappeared out of our vocabularies in general, in society as a whole. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people who don't even know how to define the word to give a correct definition of it. But Jesus, Jesus, God who came in flesh, the one that we worship, he considered it important. Notice his last words to his disciples in Luke 24, 47. This was before he uh, was carried up into heaven. He said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I like the Phillips translation of that same verse. It says, so must the change of heart 
which leads to the forgiveness of sins, be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You can be saved from your sinful ways. Praise God. And I'm going to say this, that is the reason for the Christmas season. Now, I could put my notes away, close my Bible, say a prayer of dismissal. We could go home right now, and my mission will have been accomplished. But, you know, preachers, I'm going to have to talk a little bit more about it, aren't I? There's more to the birth of Jesus Christ than a host of angels appearing on a hillside in the black of night to a few poor shepherds tending their flocks by night and those angels announcing the birth of Jesus saying, as we find in Luke 2 and 14, glory to God in the highest peace on earth, on earth peace and goodwill toward men. There's more to it than that. Although Jesus will, the second time he comes, bring peace on earth. He hasn't brought it yet. His coming the first time, his disciples thought that's what he had come to do, was to deliver Israel from Roman rule, bring peace, deliver them from wartime. But you know what? The wars haven't stopped. Uh, they didn't stop when Jesus was around. He didn't deliver them, Israel, from the Roman rules, and the wars still haven't stopped now 2,000 years later. But I'm glad to announce the Bible says when he comes back the second time, he will set up his millennial reign, his thousand-year reign, and there will be peace on earth, and there will be no wars, and there will be no fighting. What man cannot do and so desperately tries to do in their arrogance and in their pride, they can't do it. Only God is able to bring peace to this whole sinful world. Amen? But Jesus came so that we could clean up our sinful hearts. Praise God. So the reason for Christmas and the Christmas season is to remember that a Savior came, a Savior, someone who saves, was born to make it possible for us to find peace in our individual life and in our heart and goodwill towards all the people who have, we perceive, have wronged us. Amen. And... Jesus mentioned this in the garden. He was awaiting the arrival of Judas to kiss him on the cheek, let the Roman soldiers know who he was so they could take him off and crucify him. He said this in his prayer to the Father. He said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. When it comes right down to it, Jesus came. He was born so he could die. And the Bible makes a, a, an interesting statement about that, about his crucifixion. It says, the Apostle Paul writing, and I won't read it, I'll just paraphrase it, that Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but he endured the cross because of the future joy that he knew would be his because of his suffering. He knew that after he bled and died and was buried and then rose again and went back to heaven, that he was going to, just a few days later, give birth to 
a group of 120 people in an upper room who would be the first of a whole lot to follow of this great big family that he was going to have of people who loved him, and that's why he died for them. Praise God. So the Bible says he gladly endured the cross. Amen. And uh, it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't tell his disciples to go and preach and remind people about his suffering and his death. That was the price that he paid for our sins to be taken away. But he instructed rather his disciples to tell the whole world, all nations, that if we repent, this is the message he wanted them to preach, and they did, if, if someone would repent, that they can be forgiven on the spot. And that is the reason for the season of Christmas. Now watch this. After Jesus was crucified, his disciples gathered in a room in uh, Jerusalem. It was a room upstairs. They had the doors locked. They were filled with fear. And Jesus appeared in the middle of them, and he said, this is John 20, verse 21, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's John 20, 21 and 22. Now, my, my mind races ahead to a description of the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives that the Apostle Paul gives in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. He said, The Spirit... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. What's the last two? Meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. The Phillips translation of that verse, those two verses, says it like this. The Spirit, however, produces in human life fruit such as these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness generosity, fidelity, tolerance, and self-control. These are a little bit more modern terms in some cases of the fruit of the Spirit that you find in the King James Version. We're going to talk about those in detail a little bit later. But this is the reason for the Christmas season. We have a source of instant cleansing from our sins, repentance, coupled with baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, causes our sins to be remitted. As I spoke Sunday uh, in the Sunday school hour about that, that means it takes it off of our bill and puts it on God's, on Jesus Christ. And he uh, takes the bill and he paid it at the cross at Calvary with his death. And this cleansing of our sin and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, when that happens, it does a whole lot of things for us, good things, wonderful things. I want you to think about this tonight. There is no human remedy for sin. It doesn't exist. Just like man cannot bring peace on the earth, he can't deliver himself from his own sin. Not one single human being has ever found a way to do that because it doesn't exist. There is no alternate source that man can somehow look for and someday discover to go to, to, to uh, 
provide the right response to evil and wickedness and, and all the things that come from sin and out of our sin nature. Just before he got arrested, Jesus said to his disciples, John 14 and 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So we see here the door opens to a relationship with Jesus when we began to obey his commandments. And, of course, we know that starts with obeying the plan of salvation and obeying uh, what the Bible teaches the apostles preached. Jesus told them to go preach the new birth, being born again of the water, that's baptism in Jesus' name, and the new birth of the Spirit, that's the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And uh, before he ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples two directives, Luke 24 and 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. I've already read that one. Let's go to Matthew 28, verse 20, and read Matthew's version of that same remark, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I am called by God to preach repentance and to teach people of God, Christians, to observe everything that Jesus commanded. That's what he told his disciples to preach. Uh, and it is critical for me as a pastor to teach people people of God, to live a spirit-filled life. Talking about the reason for the season of Christmas. Living a spirit-filled life is critical. It is important beyond words, beyond thought. It pleases God. It gets us ready for heaven. It keeps us ready for heaven. We can't make it without the Holy Ghost in our life. The Holy Ghost is what gives us the power to live above sin and above this flesh nature. When we get saved, it doesn't yank our sin nature out of our body. We still have it to contend with. We still have it to fight the battle against our flesh. But the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Spirit with just a capital S, they all mean the same thing. And God is that Spirit. The Holy Ghost gives us the power, the spiritual power, to live above temptation and thereby live a life in relationship with God that is right in His sight and pleasing unto Him. That's why I encourage everyone to seek the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, the question becomes, do we want to be filled with the Spirit or filled with with sin. Now, Brother Jeff, I need your help right now, and you can choose someone perhaps uh, who's awake, Brother David Moyer, to help Brother Jeff pass it out. I prepared for you a handout that has a comparison. It's entitled Spirit Controlled Living versus Sin 
controlled living. And we are going to look at the difference uh, between living while being filled with the Spirit and living a normal life without the Spirit, which means sin is in control. Okay, now I'm just going to ask you if, if you could refrain from reading ahead. We're going to read it together as soon as everybody gets one. I know that's impossible for you not to read ahead. That's why I give out few handouts because I can control what you read if I only put it up there on the screen, one screen at a time. You can't read what's not on the screen. But I made a head out because I want you to take it home with you. I want you to take it into your prayer closet. I want you to pray over it and say, God, help me to do everything to live according to the left side of this handout, this paper, and not the right side. If I don't have the Holy Ghost, God, give me the Holy Ghost so I can do that. Live a spirit-controlled life. Let's look at it. We're going to take it by category. The first one is a spirit-filled mind, which includes forgiveness. Okay, you can read along with me now. Hope, appreciation, willingness, impartiality, self-control, merciful, humility, thankfulness, confidence, wisdom, faithful gratitude. Aren't all these things wonderful? It wouldn't be great to have all those things in your life. I hope that you do have all those things in your life if you have the Holy Ghost. The opposite of that is sins of the mind, things like unforgiveness, evil thoughts, covetousness, greed, lust, arrogance, senseless, despiteful. You know, senseless is a word that comes to my mind when I listen to the news anymore. I mean, I can't listen to the news more than two minutes without the word senseless coming to my mind. Our world is topsy-turvy, isn't it? Pride, ingratitude, selfish ambition, deceitfulness, heartless, faithless, haughty, or arrogant. Do you see how that is just the opposite of living a spirit-filled life? Let's go to emotions. When you have the Holy Ghost, your emotions entail things like love. Peace, a gentle spirit, gladness, joy, long-suffering, a kind spirit, patient, having compassion. The opposite of that, without the Holy Ghost, without the Spirit giving you the power, you're going to have these sinful emotions of hatred, rebellion, that's a bad one. Bitterness, they all are bad. Envy, a bad temper, anger, an unloving attitude, jealousy malice, and even sometimes rage. Okay, let's go to our mouth. When you have the Holy Ghost, God helps your mouth to speak things that are truthful with thankfulness, gentle answers, encouraging, tact. Boy, wouldn't you love for the Holy Ghost to fill you with tact? I know I do. Praise, timeliness, a soothing tongue, pleasant words. But without the Holy Ghost help, things that come out of your mouth are going to be things like lying, complaining, yelling, contentiousness, boasting, gossip, slandering, disputing, backbiting, quarrelsomeness, blasphemy. And then finally, our behavior. When it's influenced by the Spirit, we have behaviors that have to do with kindness and righteousness, obedience, goodness, courage, endurance, 
considerate, gentleness, self-control, cooperation, sincerity, servanthood, submissive, and being impartial. Of course, when the Holy Ghost is not in control and we're not yielding to it, then sins of behavior include things like fornication, adultery, drunkenness, murder, revelry, insolent, ruthless, factious, brutality, without self-control, stealing, violence, disobedience to parents, brawling, and favoritism. And I've written a, a few words on there that kind of give synonyms or a little bit clearer meaning to some of those words. But uh, the, this chart uh, of these words are from, both sides are from Mark chapter 7, Romans the first chapter, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians 4, 2 Timothy 3. If you'd like those scriptures, I'll give them to you. If you want to text me or see me after service or uh, at any time. Now, as I look over the right-hand side uh, of this chart, there's a scripture that comes to mind that's very, very meaningful. And that is in Romans 3 and verse 20. Did I give you that, brother? Let's see what that says. This is Philip's translation. No man can justify himself before God by a perfect performance of the law's demands. And what Paul was saying was he meant without the Spirit in your life. Indeed, the law is a straight edge. It is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we really are. Now, I don't know very much about Dr. Phillips or Mr. Phillips or whoever he was, but I like the way he said that. It is the straight edge of the law that shows us really how crooked we are without the influence of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Listen, you need to get this. I'm going to say this again. There is no human remedy that can change our sinful heart. Now, people can try, and they do. And there may be temporary fixes that you see in some people's life. Maybe you've tried it even in your own life. Uh, our society has has come up with some resources that will try to help you uh, to enable you to live with your sinful heart. Uh, you can find teaching and training and therapy to, to help you uh, somehow draw on your willpower and your self-discipline. I don't know about you, but I don't have much of those without the Holy Ghost help. He's what gives me those things. And someone who does have a lot of them, they still can't live above a life of sin. You can be, be taught without the help of God and the Scriptures and the Holy Ghost especially. You can be taught to be alert. Psychologists and psychiatrists can help you to, to do this, to, to be alert to the wrong kind of thoughts and, and stirring of emotions, and to they can try to help you to redirect those thoughts constructively somehow to get above them. Uh, you can 
place yourself under the supervision of people like this to be held accountable to somebody who can help. Sometimes drugs can help. I'm not talking about the abuse of illegal drugs. I'm talking about prescribed uh, legal drugs can help, but that's only temporary and it's only in part. Uh, discovering through therapy and, and these other means uh, attitudes that may be buried in your heart that are unwholesome, uh, maybe motivations that are unhealthy. Uh, somebody can help you dig those out uh, of your mind and your heart, and that can help for a little while, for a little bit. Setting goals. We're, we're taught to set goals, and that's good to set goals, but I mean in trying to live above sin and above our sinful heart, they say setting goals can help. Uh, there is a thing called behavior modification that they will try to help you do that. But all of that is temporary at best, and it doesn't get the job done. There is, however, a supernatural way to change the sinful heart. Hallelujah. And several verses point the way to that. I want to read some of them. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. I've read it twice. We're going to re read it again. She will bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, which literally means God is become my salvation for, because, his, he's got to have that name, Joseph, because he's going to save people from their sins. We can be saved from our sins by doing it God's way. Let's go to 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's borrow from Mr. Phillips again, or did I tell you that? No. All right. Well, then we won't. Well, I'll go ahead and read it for you. If we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable and straightforward. He forgives our sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. There is then a supernatural miracle that God makes available to us. Let's read it in Romans chapter 5. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. That means it doesn't disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. We can have our sins forgiven, but it takes the Holy Ghost after that to live above sin. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, produces fruit in our life, like we've read about on the chart, love and joy and peace, kindness and patience and generosity and faithfulness and self-control or temperance. Listen, there is no human source that can give you those things. I'll just... Mention one in passing. God is love. God is the source of all love. If you know somebody 
who loves another person and the first person who is loving the other person doesn't know God may have never darkened the door of a church. If there is any love going out for them to anybody else, that love came from God. How do I know that? Because of the Bible definition for love. It says God is love. We only love because he gives us the ability to do so. The scripture says that. It says we love him because he first loved us. You would never know what love is if God hadn't loved you first. But I'm so glad he did. Amen. But these things, love and joy and peace and, and, and moderation, generosity, kindness, self-control, uh, they are freely available to anybody who has received the Holy Ghost. The key is, as Paul says in Galatians 5 and 16, to walk in the Spirit, letting the Holy Ghost rule you and, and reign in your life, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will become gentler. You will become kinder. You will become more patient, more generous. You will be far more able, as you yield to the Holy Ghost, these things happen, far more able to manage your fleshly urges so that uh, you satisfy God and please God. Isn't that the most important thing and you know what other people around you your family members you, you'll make them feel better too when you live the way God wants you to I'm going to ask my wife to come to uh, the keyboard I'm about done this is the reason for the season to live the way God wants us to with the power the full-orbed, pulsating, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit filling us every day, flowing through us and out from us. And as we yield to that with the instructions on how to do that found in Scripture, you put those two together. God said, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. That's Holy Ghost. And... Uh, truth, that's the word, the Bible. It takes both. It's like a one-two punch in the boxing ring. And you know what? If you have that one-two spiritual punch in your arsenal, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and the Word, you know what the Bible says and you put it to work in your life, then the devil cannot defeat you. It is impossible for the devil to defeat you if you will walk in a spirit-filled, spirit-led life according to the Word of God. Let's stand together tonight. So, in our life as an individual, the true meaning of Christmas is for us to turn to God, completely surrender to Him. The significance of Christmas this season, I want you to remember this. It's not just a mental suggestion. It is a divine announcement that is essential to living our life here on earth 
and our going into eternity and living forever with the Lord. It's the reason for the season. God came so that we could live the way he wants us to. And so go to be with him forever, for all of eternity. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and close our service tonight by praying a simple prayer of asking God to, to somehow make that happen. Now, he can't make it against our will. As every head is bowed and every eye closed. God does not force himself on anyone. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He only comes where he's invited. But I think that we should pray, Lord, help us to invite you. Help us to open our heart's door wide. Help us to hold the door wide open for you to come in and do whatever you want to do. And we know that that understands, we understand that that means, first of all, God, for you to wash away our sins through our repentance and obedience to you and baptism in your name. And then it's followed up. This is your will, God, by the infilling of our life with your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost, the most precious gift you've ever given. For the Holy Ghost is you in spirit form, living on the inside of us. And you did it that way, God. You didn't stay here on earth in the form of a human being because in that form you could only be in one place at one time. But you went back to heaven. And then you return back to this earth in the form of your spirit, the Holy Ghost, so that you could be with each and every one of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wherever we go. You're there in our hearts, literally, not just in our mind and our thought, but when we let you fill us with the Holy Ghost, your spirit comes in and literally dwells in the tabernacle, the house of our life, our body. Praise God. For Paul said, what know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Fill every person here tonight with that great gift, God. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, whether here in person or watching at some point on the Internet, that has not yielded to you and the reason for Christmas season been fulfilled in their life by their repentance before you, by their obeying you in baptism in your name, and by their allowing you to fill them with your spirit, if any of those three things are missing in their life, that they would see their need to do that just as soon as possible and allow you to come into their life in that way, the way that you intended when you came as a baby on Christmas morning. We love you for it tonight. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Help us to go and preach the message. Every one of us is a preacher, Lord. Help us to do our duty to proclaim the reason for the season. This year, this Christmas holiday season, more than we've ever proclaimed it before. For your return is soon, and things are winding up on this old earth. And God, it can't be much longer before the trumpet sounds and the church is going to be called away. God, help us to work until you come in a way that's pleasing unto you. We ask you for it and thank you for it. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. 
Let's all say that. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. God bless you. Greet one another before you go. Love on one another. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.